section sixteen of the three lieutenants this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. the three lieutenants by william henry giles kingston chapter fourteen tom and archie in prison their trick on the jailer soldiers appear taken from prison meet colonel o'regan march through the town prisoners going to execution distant cannonading heard the firing party death of colonel o'regan the midshipmen tried to help him carried back to prison they and stella liberated by murray we must return to the night when gerald desmond and needham made their escape from the prison as soon as they were gone tom rogers and archie gordon set to work on the bar and by hauling and pulling gradually worked it back into its former position they then stuck on the rust as before and swept the windows clear of the filings and remaining bits of rust which might have betrayed them now miss o'regan do lie down and take some rest said tom ever thoughtful of others you need it much already and you cannot tell what fatigue you may have shortly to go through i have hopes that before long we shall get out of prison and in the meantime it will puzzle the jailer to know how our friends have escaped unless he happens to hit upon this bar and that i hope he will not do tom and archie returned to their own room the longer the jailers remain ignorant of the escape of desmond and needham the better observed tom i think that i can contrive to rig up two figures which may help to do so fortunately needham has left his red handkerchief behind him that must serve as his nightcap i will make the head of straw and cover it with my handkerchief the body we must form by heaping up the straw and then throwing a rug over it now archie your handkerchief must serve as desmond's head and we will put your cap on the top of it gordon of course agreed to the proposal they set to work at once and as far as the pale light of the moon which came through the windows could enable them to judge they were well satisfied with their performance they then laid down to sleep with clear consciences on their own somewhat diminished heaps of straw the jailer who brought their breakfast seldom did more than put it in at the door being satisfied with a glance round the room at its four inmates he looked in as was his custom the following morning and seeing two figures in the dark corners of the room supposed that the seamen and one of the midshipmen were indulging in a longer sleep than usual tom and archie put their hands to their heads and shook them as much as to say that their friends were suffering from headache this seemed to satisfy the jailer who departed much to the satisfaction of the midshipmen without making a closer inspection at all events it shows that our friends have not been caught or we should have had the room searched observed tom i hope that they have found the consulate and if so we shall probably be liberated before the day is over i wish however we could hear something about the colonel for the sake of his poor daughter the midshipmen naturally had got very weary at being so long shut up their spirits however now rose at the thoughts of their speedy liberation and they made a hearty meal off their somewhat coarse fare 
a couple of hours or more passed when polly knocked at the door and said that miss o'regan would be glad to see them i have been thinking more than ever about my poor father she said and i cannot help fearing from the remarks let drop by the jailer's wife that he must be very ill i have in vain begged her to let me go and see him can you think of any plan by which i may do so if the old lady would take me down into the common cell i would gladly consent to be shut up with him perhaps by putting our heads together we may hit upon some plan for getting the colonel up here to see you answered tom that would be much better for you can have no idea of the set of ruffians you would have to meet in the lower prison and i am very sure that the colonel would not allow you to be among them all sorts of schemes were discussed the chief hope was that they might work on the feelings of the jailer's wife who was evidently well disposed towards them they had been talking for some time when hearing footsteps coming along the passage the midshipmen hurried back to their own room instead of the jailer however as the door opened a party of soldiers with fixed bayonets appeared what can be these fellows want exclaimed archy the soldiers forthwith marched into the room and without speaking began to fasten the midshipmen's arms behind them this doesn't look pleasant cried tom i say you fellows what are you about the soldiers made no reply but continued lashing their arms for in the meantime had walked up to the corner where they expected to find the other prisoners their astonishment was very great when they found instead only some heaps of straw they talked for a minute together casting looks at tom and archy which betokened no good will one of them having gone out came back with the jailer who began questioning them though as they scarcely understood a word he said they were not very well able to give lucid replies they of course guessed however that he was making inquiries as to what had become of their companions they will be back soon i dare say said tom if you will let us wait till then we shall be much obliged to you non intende answered the jailer not in ten days exclaimed tom even at that moment unable to refrain from a joke the jailer not being a bit the wiser for tom's reply began to stamp and rave and then repeated his questions in a louder voice expecting that by so doing he should elicit an answer at last he and four of the soldiers went into miss o'regan's room and while two of them cross-questioned her and polly as to what had become of the missing prisoners the others searched the room in the hopes of discovering them their answers did not satisfy the men for like true women having determined that they would not say what had become of their friends nothing could induce them to acknowledge that they knew anything about the matter fortunately the soldiers did not think of examining the bars as it did not occur to them that the fugitives had escaped by the window at last they came back looking very disheartened four of the soldiers roughly dragging the midshipmen into the passage led them downstairs they were then conducted into a courtyard where a number of other prisoners were collected some heavily manacled and others with their arms secured as theirs were by ropes they looked round and before long recognized colonel o'regan as also the masters mates and men of the two merchantmen 
there were besides a number of prisoners in military uniform whose countenances all wore an agitated and anxious expression though some tried to hold up their heads and to look indifferent as to the fate awaiting them all the englishmen were manacled as though their captors supposed that they would make an attempt to escape the midshipmen would scarcely have known colonel o'regan had it not been for his dress and his tall commanding figure so pale and haggard had he become their guards not stopping them they made their way up to him he recognized them with a smile of satisfaction what are they going to do with us colonel o'regan asked tom naturally beginning to feel more nervous than at first to murder us i fear answered the colonel in a low voice for myself i care not but for her and for you my heart bleeds tell me young gentlemen where is she how does she bear up against the cruel fate which has overtaken her i have been unable to learn anything about her since i was shut up in that horrid den with these ruffians the poor colonel was somewhat relieved at hearing that his daughter was not ill-treated and that her black maid was allowed to remain with her tom told him also of the kindness of the jailer's wife she is not ungrateful then for a slight service i once did her little thinking at the time how it would be repaid he remarked poor girl these barbarians would not allow me even a last parting farewell with her but do you really suppose that there is no hope for us colonel o'regan exclaimed tom surely they will not dare to shoot us for myself i certainly expect no mercy answered the colonel gloomily i have however hopes that though they may not be influenced by pity for you and your companion they will hesitate before they injure those clad in the uniform of the british navy i do not therefore despair of your lives and though i cannot plead for myself i will for you their conversation was cut short by the arrival of an officer who gave orders to the guard to conduct the prisoners to the campo outside the town tom rejoined archy gordon and they followed the colonel who was marched out with captain crowhurst as his companion they were joined by several priests with crucifixes in their hands who addressing the prisoners as they walked alongside them offered to afford them the consolations of their religion we want none of their mummery exclaimed captain crowhurst in a tone of indignant contempt do tell the fellows colonel to let us alone the colonel instead of interpreting this speech mildly addressed the priests and assured them that he and his companions did not require their services as they differed in creed the friars now came to tom and archy but soon finding that they did not understand a word they said they fell back to those in the rear the master of the sloop and the mates spoke much in the same tone as captain crowhurst had done and the priests observing that they were heretics devoted their attention to their own countrymen two of the priests more persevering than the rest returned again to the colonel he motioned them aside with the same courteousness as before still they addressed him my friends he said at length i give you full credit for the honesty of your intentions but as i have lived so i hope to die protesting against the false system and erroneous doctrines in which you appear to believe 
i have no faith in them and therefore you only interrupt a person who would ask strength from one in whose presence he is about shortly to appear that he may go through the severe trial he is called upon to endure the calm and dignified manner of the brave colonel rebuked the officious priests and they returned without venturing to utter any of the contemptuous remarks which they had bestowed on his less polished fellow-sufferers crowds collected in the streets to see the mournful procession pass most of the englishmen walked boldly on with heads erect and undismayed countenances many of them indeed scarcely believed that the government would venture to put them to death the natives on the contrary fully aware of the sanguinary disposition of their countrymen expected no mercy but marched on with trembling knees and downcast countenances expecting the fate which awaited them they had been captured in open rebellion attempting to overthrow the government and were conscious how they themselves would have treated their enemies had they exchanged places the crowd gathered rapidly eager to indulge themselves of the spectacle which was about to take place suddenly there came a booming sound of a gun across the harbour followed by the thunder of several others one at short intervals much louder than the rest the colonel and captain crowhurst turned their heads those guns come from vessels in action said tom perhaps one is an english ship if so she is sure to give the dons a drubbing some of the crowd hastened to the harbour to see what had taken place the soldiers advanced with their prisoners at a more rapid rate than before they quickly reached an open place just outside the town here they stopped and presently several officers came on the field the prisoners were marched a short distance to the front of the troops who extended their line on either side of them an officer of rank with his staff now rode up colonel o'regan on seeing him stepped forward general carmona he said i have been your enemy and have no hope of mercy at our hands i therefore do not ask it for myself i speak for these men who if they have broken your laws did so in ignorance still more earnestly do i entreat you not to injure these two young english officers who as i informed your commodore are entirely guiltless they were saved at sea from a wreck by the brig on board which i was a passenger and if you put them to death you will bring the vengeance of their countrymen on your head you may have some excuse for shooting me but you will have none if you murder them for murder it will be whatever you may call it this address seemed to have some effect on the general who however issued no counter-orders to the officers charged with the execution of the prisoners the colonel with the two masters and their four mates together with the principal natives all of whom appeared to be of the rank of officers were placed in a row when several soldiers came behind them for the purpose of binding handkerchiefs over their eyes the colonel turned round to the men who were about to perform that office for him with a calm smile i desire to gaze my last on the blue sky above us he said gently let me at least die like a soldier it is the only favour i ask his companions followed the colonel's example and begged to be allowed to die with eyes unbound the general now ordered the officer in command of the firing party to hurry his preparations 
as you have so many to dispose of it would have made shorter work had you placed them all together he shouted out the rest of the prisoners had in the meantime been led on one side to await their turn the firing party now advanced the doomed men gazed at them with pale though undaunted countenances the commanding officer in a loud harsh voice gave the usual order make ready present then came the fatal word fire some fell forward shot dead others were struggling and writhing on the ground colonel o'regan alone was standing upright it was but for a moment he was seen to stagger forward then to fall heavily on his face regardless of the danger they ran from the firing party who advanced to plunge their bayonets into the bodies of those who still had life in them tom and archy dashed forward with the idea of helping their unfortunate friend they attempted to raise him but the expression of his countenance and the blood oozing from a wound in his breast told them but too truly that all was over and had not their guards who were alarmed on their own account at having allowed them to escape dragged them back they would probably have been bayoneted on the spot just then an officer who came galloping up with looks of consternation on his countenance informed the general that his corvette the chief vessel of his navy with which he believed that he could defy the world had struck her flag to a british brig of war and that his brig had been sent to the bottom the news produced an electric effect on him and his officers he at once gave orders that the surviving english prisoners should be conducted back to jail under charge of a small body of troops while the rest were marched off to the batteries we have had a narrow escape said tom to archy not at the time aware to what cause they were indebted for their preservation we ought indeed to be thankful but i would have given anything to have saved the colonel poor miss o'regan what will she do with no one to look after her but we will do our best answered archy and as i have a notion that she will some day be my cousin i have a sort of right you know to watch over her but in the meantime what shall we say to that poor young lady asked tom i haven't the heart to tell her that her father has been shot answered archy though of course something must be said we must not tell her a falsehood that's certain then we must just say that we were marched out into the country when firing was heard which we have no doubt came from an english ship of war and then we were marched back again said tom if she asks any further questions we need not say anything more and perhaps before long we shall all be on board when she will be better able to bear her misfortune than she would be shut up in prison much to their satisfaction the midshipmen were taken back to the room they had before occupied the great drawback however was the fear they felt of being cross-questioned by miss o'regan they had not been there long before they heard the jailer's wife go into her room and they guessed that she would tell the poor girl more than they themselves could venture to do there was a great deal of talking and after some time the old woman went away scarcely had she gone than miss o'regan opened their door i have important news for you she exclaimed in an animated tone and she gave them the information she had just heard that an english brig of war had captured the whole of the cartagenian fleet and that the authorities as well as the people were in a state of the greatest possible alarm and agitation 
we may expect therefore to be speedily liberated she added my poor father must also be set free she had been so interested in describing what she had heard that she did not make the inquiries they expected and the midshipmen were saved the pain of informing her of her father's death they passed the next two hours in a state of great anxiety at last footsteps were heard and voices coming towards their room their door was thrown open and there stood lieutenant murray gerald desmond needham and several strangers one of whom was in the consular uniform the former giving them a smile of recognition hurried into miss o'regan's room and patty desmond after warmly shaking hands began recounting to them the adventures he and needham had gone through they in return had a sad tale to tell of the events which had lately occurred it was cut short by the reappearance of murray with miss o'regan leaning on his arm followed by polly carrying the box with her mistress's wardrobe now young gentlemen said the consul we have come to conduct you to my house where no one will dare to molest you and i dare say that you will be glad to get out of the prison yes indeed we shall sir answered tom but i should like to wish the jailer's wife good-bye i am sorry to tell you that she and her husband have been dismissed from their post and are now themselves confined in one of the cells in which they have been accustomed to lock up others however i will do my best for them and in a short time there will be another change of government when they will probably be reinstated they are accused of having connived at the escape of your companions and i can probably help them by explaining how it occurred murray had thought it better not to tell stella of her father's death her suspicions however had been aroused and she pathetically begged that she might see him it is impossible answered murray let me entreat you not to inquire further at present and you shall be informed of all that has happened as soon as we reach the consul's house stella was silent the dreadful truth began to dawn on her she dare not ask another question with no small satisfaction the party found themselves outside the prison walls they were not interfered with by the populace who regarded the conqueror of their fleet rather with awe and respect than any vindictive feelings the vice-consul's spanish wife received the young english lady with a kind welcome and did her best to prepare her for the afflicting intelligence she was to hear murray undertook the task her grief was too great for tears i was prepared for it she said at length a fearful foreboding of evil has oppressed me since we sailed from antigua i cannot help thinking that he himself felt that such might too probably be his fate yet he braved it under the belief that he was engaged in the cause of humanity the consolation murray offered was not without its due effect there is one at all events who will take your father's place and joyfully devote his life to your service and to watching over you with the tenderest love he said taking her hand i know it she answered and my father often expressed his satisfaction at the thought that i might some day become your wife stella had another trial to undergo when receiving from tom and archie the last message which her father sent her although the consul promised to protect her and the ladies of the family treated her with the greatest sympathy and kindness she was naturally anxious to join her friends in jamaica and murray was also unwilling that she should remain longer on shore than possible 
there were few places at that time more disorganized and disturbed than cartagena the consul himself and his family indeed were frightened and gladly accepted murray's invitation to take up their quarters on board the supplejack till matters were in a more settled state on shore the consul's boat was in readiness and the whole party were soon assembled on the deck of the brig their departure showed the government that the commander intended to carry out his threat of sending for a fleet to bombard their town should his demands not be complied with another messenger was therefore dispatched to hasten the departure of the captured merchantmen which the wind being favourable within the time allowed were seen entering the harbour as his duty would not allow murray to leave cartagena until he had received instructions from the admiral he determined forthwith to send to sarah jane with an account of the event which had occurred and to ask for instructions as soon as she came to an anchor higson tom and archy with a boat's crew were sent on board great was the midshipmen's delight when they stepped on deck to see master spider on the top of the caboose apparently on excellent terms with his new associates he knew his old friends however at once and came hopping down to greet them with every demonstration of pleasure the brig was in a terribly dirty condition and the furniture of the cabin was considerably damaged while the greater part of her cargo and every article of value had been carried off the native crew was sent on shore and murray picked out the most respectable of her former ship's company with two or three of the best men out of the sloop to man her promising them a handsome reward if they behaved well though he could ill spare higson there was no one else to whom he could entrust the command of her he felt bound also to send the three midshipmen back to their ships and the confidence he had in needham made him resolve to send him and in addition he picked out four good men from the supplejack i hope we have made up a tolerable ship's company for you higson he said keep a watchful eye over them and do not trust them too much they have ample inducement to behave well but they have been so long i suspect engaged in lawless pursuits that it is impossible to say what tricks they may take it into their heads to play murray was constantly on board the sarah jane endeavouring to restore her cabin to its former state of comfort he felt that stella could not stay on board the supplejack with him and painful as it was to part with her his only course was to send her at once to her friends in jamaica she herself saw the propriety of this and made no demur i can trust you confidently to the care of mr higson and your former young protectors he said as he made the proposal as soon as duty will allow me i hope to return to jamaica and then i trust that nothing will occur to prevent me from making you mine and giving me the right to protect and watch over you scarcely half an hour had elapsed after this before stella was once more on board the sarah jane sail was made the anchor lifted and the brig with a fair wind glided out of the harbour murray continued on board her as far as he could venture to see but as he dared not be long absent from the supplejack he was at length compelled to return End of chapter fourteen